Welcome to Checking Out the Competition, Columbus Blue Jackets edition. And I am joined today by PD from The Canon, which is the SB Nation's Columbus Blue Jackets blog. PD, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Kelly. I'm glad to be here. Great. Thank you so much. So um, I've kind of been doing a thing early this season, sort of like the first time we meet a team, um, just kind of getting a feeling of how, even though now we're over a month into the season, how the off season went for you. You guys had one of the more dramatic off seasons, <laughs> um, to say the least. And yeah. that, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, every single free agent that you had walked um, UFA, that is. Um, you did bring in uh, Nyquist, right? So you Correct. got one back. Um, and it was kind of like a, a big deal because the team went all in at the deadline. Uh, did a really fun thing in the first round in taking out Tampa Bay, which was pretty wild. Um, but yeah, then it all kind of fell apart. Um, you know, they really went for it and they didn't get there. So I'm just kind of wondering from your perspective as a fan and as somebody who covers the team, what is the overall feeling about the Blue Jackets right now? Uh, well, there's not an easy answer to that, obviously. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of facets to it. Well, so yeah. going back to, to the deadline last season, uh, Personally, I loved what the GM, Jarmo Kekalainen, did. I liked that he went all in. Because all season, people were like, well, you, you got to trade the free agency. You got to get something for them. But I, his perspective was, you know, you can't, you can't constantly do that. You can't constantly, like, give up, trade guys, collect assets. Like, at some point, you just have to go for it, right? Like, right. what are the odds the Jackets are going to have a forward like Panarin or a goalie like Bobrovsky again? So let's ride with them, let's add some other pieces, and let's just go for it. And, you know, we got the first series win in franchise history, and, yeah, being able to knock off a historically great team certainly added to the fun of that. Um, and, you know, losing to Boston then was uh, disappointing, but still it was it was a great run. So I, you know, I wouldn't trade that back for anything. Um, and as for the summer then, uh, the departures weren't a surprise. You know, I think we, with the Russians, we knew that it was coming. I think I was going to be hopeful that maybe some last godfather offered to get convinced one of them to stay, but I wasn't surprised that they left. Duchesne, I think we maybe thought that, you know, if he enjoyed himself enough here, that maybe he'd stick around. He has a young family. There's a lot of other guys in the team with young families that maybe that would lure him. But, you know, it's clear now that Nashville was always going to be the destination there. Yeah. Um, but I will also say that, it's really not fair to list like Duchesne and Zingle as big losses because those two didn't really do much for the team in the regular season after we got them. Now, Duchesne was a factor in the playoffs, but the regular season, I don't think they've really changed our final standings very much. So if you're talking about like what the core of the team has lost, those guys weren't really part of it. Um, so then it's just a matter of losing Panarin and Borowski. And Nyquist, is, he's not a... Panarin replacement, but he's still a really good player, uh, and he's been a nice fit so far. Mm -hmm. Just a good veteran presence, solid forward. You know, they can put him in any situation, and, you know, he's going to help the team. Um, and then after that, yeah, it was a bit of a quiet offseason, and so that was a little underwhelming, like, you know, what are we going to do now? But I think the team went into it knowing we've got this long-term plan and we're going to stick to it. And we've got these young guys 
And, you know, that's the point of a prospect pipeline is that you can lose players, you can let them walk, and you've got youngsters that can just come in and take a spot. So we have that with these two younger goalies that are now taking over in goal. We've got some of these young forwards then that are plugging in. So no one player is going to replace Panarin, but hopefully there are several players that can combine to to match his production. So I want to talk a little bit about these young guys that you have. Um, in preparing for this a little bit, I've been doing some reading, and I saw a piece um, by Allison Lucan at The Athletic about Alexander Texier and Oliver Bjorkstrand. Am I saying Brent. that right? Terrible mm-hmm. with those names. And then also on top of those two who are playing very well together, um, you have this kid, Alexander Wenberg, who I think after having a rough season last year um, is kind of coming into his own a bit, if I've got that right. Um, yeah. So when we started the season at Broad Street Hockey, we did kind of a preview um, of what we thought, how we thought teams were going to end up. And given the changes in Columbus, we were kind of convinced that they were going to fall off uh, quite a bit. But right now, you guys are 5-3-2, and two, which is not a terrible way to start the season. Um, top of the wild card in the division right now, which, you know, obviously doesn't matter in <laughs> October. But, you know, it's, you know, it's there. That's where you are. It, it, it's, it's a good place to be. Like, I'm happy yeah. to be staying in contention for as long as we can. And then maybe we can do something later in the season. But for now, we're at least not digging a hole. Yeah. So can you point to, is there any one thing that you think, that is contributing to the fact that the Blue Jackets are still winning games. Is it these young guys? Is it Corpusalo and Net coming in and playing well? Or is it kind of a combination of everything? Yeah, I think it's a combination of everything. I think it has really been a, a team effort. Um, one factor has been without a guy like Bobrovsky and Net, uh, the coaches realized that team defense was going to be important to give the goalies as much help as possible. Mm-hmm. And so they've carried over something that they showed in the Tampa series. You know, in Tampa, they against Tampa, they were trying to, you know, lock down those great forwards and keep them from getting chances. And so it used to be that the Jackets under Torts had this philosophy of safe as death. You know, like, just let's be aggressive. Yep. Let's try to try get breakaways, that sort of thing. Because, hey, Bobrovsky's back there in net. But now there's no more safe as death. It's very much a defensive-oriented team. So we're not producing, we're not, we're not scoring a lot but we're also limiting the chances that other teams get, and that has helped the goalies. But then Corpusalo has uh, has been a pleasant surprise because he was he's really not a backup goalie. He doesn't fit that right. role very well because, you know, he would play once every two weeks or something because Bob was such a workhorse, and he just showed so much rust. But in his short NHL career, he has been better when he has gotten – been able to string some starts together mm-hmm. and we've seen that again this year so he is gaining confidence with each start as he's getting more and more work and we've also seen him he's made some technical changes to his game he oh. his positioning in the crease has improved it, that even got better last year uh, but that has that has helped and his rebound control has improved significantly even from last season and that has helped as well there's been very few second chances against him which i think has has helped a lot um, tell me a little bit about your new backup, Elvis Merzlikens. Um, I know he's kind of new to the league, but he's not a young guy. He's been playing in Europe for a while. Um, right. Yeah. You know, what have you? Twenty-five years old. He yeah. comes in very, very highly touted. Um, you know, he's been one of the top goalies in the Swiss league. Um, you know, which is a a decent pro league over there, and he has played very well 
in international competitions for Latvia. So he's gone, he's faced some NHL players in those competitions and done well, um, despite not having a lot of talent in front of him, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this year has, has been an adjustment for him because this is his first time playing in North America. And so the ice size has been an adjustment for him. He has to expect shots from different angles than he did over in Europe. Right. Uh, also in the European game, apparently, uh, you know, they're very particular about where they shoot from and they try to really set up the perfect shot. Whereas in the NHL, it's put pucks on the net from anywhere and just hope something goes in. So that mm-hmm. has been something that he has to prepare for and that he really couldn't learn until he actually faced that in a game. Um, so he's only played twice so far this season. He played the second game, it was against Pittsburgh, and he got shelled for seven goals. Uh, and then he had to wait two weeks to start again. Uh, this time it was against the Blackhawks, and uh, he only allowed three goals. Uh, and one of them was an overtime. Yeah, and so he, that, was a, that was a big improvement on his part. So it sounds like he's a, he's a mentally tough player, uh, which is what you want for a goalie. He's a little bit eccentric, eccentric, which you, again, expect from goalies. <laughs> Always, <time>. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, very candid in his, in his interviews, uh, a little bit like uh, Brzezgalov in that way well, so fun. so he could he could be a future star in the league but um you know he just still needs to adjust to things and corpusal has been playing so well that corpusal is going to be getting the bulk of starts going forward okay so we're all pretty familiar with the core of this team that's remained um after all of the stuff that happened over the summer you know cam atkinson seth jones zach Rowensky, captain felino um we touched on these new young guys that are making a little bit of noise uh, media-wise around the Blue Jackets. But if you had to give me somebody who we may not know about, who we might not think to keep an eye on, that you think could be a factor in this game against the Flyers, who would you tell me about? Well, uh, so a personal favorite of mine for a few years now has been Oliver Bjorkstrand, who you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, Originally, I just liked him as a prospect because I thought that was an awesome name. It is a fun name. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I was just a commenter. I just started typing his name in all caps, and then that has caught on as kind of a thing on the site now. Nice. It just when I type it, it's Bjorkstrand in all caps. I got to yell it, you know. And uh, it's taken him a few years to really, uh, you know, find his groove and become a consistent player. Uh, he started off horribly last season. But then in the second half of the season, he was at scoring at like a 40-goal pace. Like he just, things finally clicked. And he's picked that up this season as well. Now he's he's moved around a bit on the lines as the Torts has been blending a lot to try to get, try to figure out something, get some guys going. Um, so he did really well with Wenberg. Now he's been some different guys the last couple of games. Um, but he's making an impact, you know, all across the ice, creating offense, playing well defensively. So he's a really standout forward. And on the defensive side, someone who is new to the team is Vladislav Gavrikov, who mm-hmm. is a he's a Russian defenseman uh, who this is his first season in the NHL. He got a couple games in the playoffs last year, and he is a really, really good stay-at-home defenseman. So he's not one of these offensive firepowers like Jones or Wierenski, but he is a stalwart in the defensive end. He's one of those players who... You don't necessarily notice a lot, and that's a good thing. Um, but when you do notice him, it's because he's making making a block shot or he's laying a big hit. Um, so he's been a really nice surprise on the back end, and it's really stabilized things there. It's a very deep defensive core for the Jackets. You know, they've got that great top pairing 
but then they essentially have two second pairings. That's how, that's how deep the defense is. That's pretty good. Can't argue with that. So since you've mentioned it a couple of times, I kind of want to ask about John Tortorella. <laughs> um, just because I think that, I mean, I personally don't expect him to keep a job anywhere for as long as he's kept the job in Columbus. And it seems like he just continues to work there. And I'm wondering if you think that there's something different about the team or the organization that kind of meshes with Torts better than organizations have in the past, or has he softened a bit? Like, is there anything going on there? I'm just out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of truth to all of that. He, yeah, he has lasted longer than I expected because I, when he was hired, I thought, all right, this could be good. He has had success in a few mm-hmm. places, but I figured like he will get the team on track, light a fire under them, but then he'll wear out his welcome, and then maybe the team will go far. There will be someone else that can maybe take the team right. further than he can, um, like, like we saw when, when Vigneault took over for him in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, he's, he was not quite the firebrand that I expected when he took the job, so it seemed like maybe that year away from coaching had mellowed him a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the, the year in Vancouver was an embarrassment for him and I think he feels ashamed as for how that went down and for how he was viewed from that um so he's been a little calmer uh, but not completely calm he's still well, he's still yeah. short. Uh, <laughs> but I think he was the right hire at the time because it was such a young team and actually it remains a young team uh and he likes working with young players which I think does not match the league perception of him but he likes working with youngsters he likes teaching them like the right way to play hockey, you know? So if a player, a player or coach is going to learn to play on both sides of the ice, you know, it learns to be defensively responsible, learns his place in the system. Uh, you know, you're not going to stay in the lineup if you're not, you know, putting in the work, if you're not doing the little things. Like there was a game last week where Sonny Milano scored this highlight reel goal, you know, that, that made all the clips and everything. Mm-hmm. But Torty's like, my favorite play of him that game was – third period late in the shift and he you know he dumped the puck in and got off the ice like that's it was a responsible play it was the right play to make and that's the play that I like the most so that's a very tough answer but I think yeah. it's right and that that's a guy who Sonny Milano has struggled to stick in the lineup because he's maybe not gotten every part of his game mm-hmm. right he's finally starting to this year and he's starting to earn some more chances and that's something that that Torts pushes for now I do think we may be close to the end here with him because he's not a a great uh, X's and O's coach. And right. I think he would, he would admit that. And I think that that could be holding this team back a bit. There are some players that he's maybe not utilizing in the best way. Uh, the biggest area there being the power play, mm-hmm. uh, which has been bottom of the league for going on three years now. Uh, which is incredibly frustrating. Uh, one of my writers had an article about that this week that laid out the stats, and they're really bad. And we've had the same assistant coach, Brad Larson, running that power play the whole time. And so it's an open question as to, it's been so bad for so long, why hasn't anything changed? And they've tried different players in different spots, and that hasn't fixed it. So it's got to come back to the coaches at some point. Yeah. And, and that's maybe more Larson's fault than Torts. But in the end, he's the head coach. Right. So he has to bear some responsibility for that. So I do think there might be a ceiling as for how far he can take this team. Mm-hmm. But 
for this year being a little bit of an adjustment period, I think once again he becomes the right coach for the team like he was three years ago when they came out of nowhere and earned 100-plus points. So I think that's the point he is in this season. We'll just see in the next year or two. It will probably be time to bring in someone else. Yeah, so so given the amount of change that's been going on, this is not the year that he's going to get fired. He's got a little bit of rope left. I think he, yeah, I think yeah. he has a bit of sure. Okay. So, let's say, PD, that I kidnapped you, and I <laughs> took you to the Wells Fargo Center, and I tied you in a room with Gritty, and <laughs> you were forced to you were forced to reveal to us what the main weakness that the Flyers could exploit against the Blue Jackets in this game. What would you tell us? And you can't lie because Gritty will kill you. Uh, well, one thing I would say, the Flyers should take as many penalties as possible because <laughs> the Blue Jackets can't score on the power play. Okay. <laughs> so that would not be a disadvantage for you at all. Um, I think so it, the scoring is not there, so if the Flyers can play a strong defensive game and limit the number of high-danger chances the Jackets get, then it'll remain a low-scoring affair, which I which I think would play into your hands there. Uh, the Jackets get off a lot of shot attempts, but not often a lot of good chances. So if you the Islanders last week played that kind of game where they just they locked in, they gave up 80 shot attempts, but only 37 on goal, and they weren't high-danger chances, and you know they end up getting the win in overtime. So I think that should be Philly's game plan. That's the way to beat the Jackets. Okay, so. Finally, the last thing I'll ask you, um, you guys are coming off a pretty exciting overtime win against Carolina, right? Heading into this yep. game. So riding a little bit of a high. Um, so give me your prediction for a final score in this game. Well, so the Jackets have had a run now of eight straight games that were decided by one goal. Ooh. They've, they're running, riding a six-game point streak, uh, but the last four games have all gone to overtime, and they've won the last two of those. So I'm going to say that this will also be a one-goal game, and I would also not be surprised if it went to overtime. <laughs> God, this so, must be a very trying time for you. That would drive me insane if well, the Flyers were going it, to overtime that often. Well, we, you know, we've been winning enough of them that mm-hmm. that winning is fun, but, yeah, all the games being close is uh, yeah, it's tough on the heart. It but is. <laughs> I will say it's a 3-2 game. Uh, but I don't know which which side's gonna win. I guess it's gonna be three two in overtime, though. That's as far as three two in overtime. Okay. Um, I'm going to say because I continue to be positive about the Flyers, which is just a a weird feeling that I've just decided to embrace until they beat it out of me, which will likely happen at some point. Right. Um, I'm gonna go three one Flyers. Okay. And the three is in empty net goal in the third. Okay, that sounds about right. That's what I'm going with. I feel good about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so thank you again, PD, for joining me. And again, if you want to learn a little bit, yeah, if you want to learn a little bit about the Columbus Blue Jackets ahead of this game, head on over to the Canon, which is jacketscanon.com, the can- the Columbus Blue Jackets blog on the SB Nation Network. PD, this is awesome. Thank you very much for joining me. Got the game tonight, 7 p.m. Let's go Flyers. (laughs) Let's go Jackets.